Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. Give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. It's been a long time since I've done a podcast. I was on vacation. I was out on an Alaskan cruise for a couple weeks there and uh, obviously didn't get a chance to do the podcast. Couldn't even watch the Oilers' final game. They were broadcasting ESPN on this cruise and uh, the American fans... You know, they showed the games on TNT, so I didn't even get a chance to watch the final Oilers game of the season, saw the highlights, saw what happened, but a heck of a run for the Edmonton Oilers this season. Good things. Uh, we're going to talk about that with our guest, uh, Brennan Clack of 630 Chet, in a minute here. Uh, of course, it's award season. Jay Woodcroft getting the contract extension. Lots of things to talk about. Just want to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, of course, Hockey Podcast Network and DraftKings. If you're going to sign up today with DraftKings, use promo code THPN. It can help you out in a lot of ways. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on in the show, but uh, let's just get right to it. Uh, Brennan Clack, he's a busy man working down the dial from myself, so we don't want to waste any more of his time. Give him a follow on Twitter at NHL Update. Mr. Clack, thank you so much for doing this today. How are you doing? You know what? Not too bad, Connor. Uh, where was my invite to Alaska? I mean, your parents <laughs> know me, obviously, from the podcast. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, they decided to take their kids and their grandkids. And after that, I, I think the budget was a little bit tight because, of course, they had to get their drink package. You know, you, you go on a cruise, you got to get the alcohol package. And uh yeah, it, it was a unique thing. Have you ever done the cruise, Clack? You know what? I've never done a cruise. And I used to laugh all the time because Bill Burr would do this awesome kind of Hey, cruise ships are for people that did like he used to do this really good, this kind of thing that made fun of people on cruise ships. However, it's only funny because it's a comedy act as I would probably take a cruise (laughs) if it was free and given to me and I could just drink on it for a couple of days. Yeah. I I mean, I only, I, I just think it's funny because of when you picture a cruise, sometimes you think of the boat getting sick because of the water and just a lot of people packed onto one <laughs> vessel. And sometimes you've seen those cruise ships that get stuck and yeah. then everyone's kind of sitting there. But the thing is, is that now they're underrated because of all that. Like I just took a minute to tell you how much I'm like, Oh, gross. And then you go on it and you're like, those are actually delightful. 
Well, and, and I mean, I was the same way, and I was going to say, you're under the age of 45, so yeah, you probably haven't been on a cruise. I'm under the age of 45 as well, and we would not have gone on this, but my parents uh, had a lot of credit built up. Of course, cruises were canceled back in 2020, and we got the opportunity, so we went for it. I mean, the stereotypes are true. It's a, it's a lot of seniors. It's a lot of people just out there sightseeing, but there was there was some younger people there as well. Uh, I would recommend it. The seasickness never really occurred. There was one point, I'd say, I, I mean, around Juneau, if you know, if you know Alaska, where, you know, we, we were kind of going against the current and it wasn't a lot of fun, but we went to this one act. Uh, there was a bar in town, so we're like, well, we might as well check out some of the local cuisine and have a beer, hang out. And there was a performer and he talked about cruise ships coming in because obviously that's a big, big, industry up there and he was like the average age of a cruise ship is deceased so you know he, he talked about how it's a lot of older people but i would recommend it it's a lot of fun it's like an all-inclusive but you're on a boat and you move around a lot there was a casino and stuff so one day clack maybe not too soon but one day uh you got to get it done and as we tape this interview it is what tuesday 6 12 p.m mountain time and uh, the nhl awards just wrapped up we're going to get to a lot of things here on the podcast uh we'll be as efficient as we can no more cruise talk but clack we saw the nhl awards come down uh connor mcdavid robbed he didn't win the heart he didn't win the Lindsay. that goes to austin matthews who had a spectacular year i tweeted it out the oilers have won their individual awards they've got higher standards now they won two playoff rounds they were you know a series away from going to the cup final to me i'm not too bothered by austin matthews winning these awards good for him what do you think you know i'm sure at this point that Connor mcdavid and leon drysettle don't care a ton i mean Connor mcdavid is a pretty competitive guy so part of him is going to care like he's not going to be a guy that goes oh I, i lost whatever he'll go oh i lost all right well that's fine. We went a little farther than you. Like there's going to be a little bit of contempt that, that he didn't win, but I don't think they care as much as they would have three years ago or four years ago, because now they've been in the third round and the the focus is we've been closer to the cup and that's the focus. But saying that, I mean, I would have voted Connor McDavid over Austin Matthews, but I understand Austin Matthews winning. I mean, the guy had 60 goals and that's hard to do. It's not just hard to do. It's almost impossible to do in this NHL. There's very, very few players that can get to the 60-goal plateau. Uh, Steven Stamkos did. Ovechkin did. That's the list. And then Matthews. So, you know, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think he's an undeserving winner. I think he deserves to win. But I do think that McDavid in the playoffs showed who the real MVP of the league is. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, and I mean, I... I, I do agree with you. Like, I think Connor McDavid could have got the award, but I, I do think there is some sort of fatigue when it comes to that. The one I always look at was back in the NBA. Like, you could have given it to Shaquille O'Neal, the MVP, every year. And, you know, even the years that Steve Nash won back-to-back, I mean, Shaquille O'Neal was the most dominant player in the NBA. Uh, LeBron James, another guy. Like, they're, they're, to me, in my opinion, there's guys that you could just always give it to, and I feel like the voters just don't want to do that. And I think Connor McDavid could be that way in the NHL. Like, he's just so damn good. He's the best player in the NHL, 
and I don't think there's even a conversation to be had about it. And maybe the voters just kind of get sick of it or get a little too used to it and look for someone else. And I, I don't want to take away too much from Austin Matthews. You you described it very well. 60 goals, hell of a season, scored some big goals as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we all know who the best player in the league is. And even if he wins the Ted Lindsay like he did, Austin Matthews, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. This is an Oilers podcast, so maybe there's a little bit of bias, but... Well, you know where we stand, Clack. Uh, let's talk about Jay Woodcroft, on the other hand. He gets the contract extension with the Edmonton Oilers, and, uh, I mean, well-deserved. Everybody saw it coming. He was a 26-9-3 and since he took over the team and got them to where they were, got them back into the playoffs, gave them a magical run, winning two rounds, Battle of Alberta. That's awesome to see. We all love to see that. I mean, what what to you was the single most important thing that Jay Woodcroft brought to this group? Just another eye. I think that was the most important thing that Jay Woodcroft brought to the table. The, the willingness to change, the willingness to look at what was wrong and try to make new things happen. Because I thought that that's what Dave Tippett did not do with the Oilers was make enough changes when things were going wrong. I think Dave Tippett was a bit stubborn and was very much set in his ways And when Woodcroft came along and Dave Manson came along, they decided, hey, we got to change some of these things. We got to change the lines a lot. We got to change different combinations on the blue line. We got to change ways that we're defending. We have to change ways that we're attacking. That was the biggest thing to me was having another eye who was willing to change. And also, I really do appreciate Jay Woodcroft's positivity. Like in this NHL and just in this time in general in life, the, the coaching philosophy has seemed to change for me. We're not, in a, we're not in an age where, you know, Mike Babcock is able to go around and berate players. We're in a time now where, you know, positivity is, is paramount. And John Cooper is one of the most positive coaches in the league. Jared Bednar, very positive coach as well. That's just kind of where the game is going in terms of encouragement. And that's what Woodcroft is. Like when the Oilers lost, he came up to the to the podium and he said, "Look, we're going to figure it out. Our guys are definitely good enough, and we're going to figure it out." And that kind of mentality is great. Instead of say Dave Tippett right before he got let go, throwing his goaltender Miko Kostin under the bus. Like that's a big difference in how you handle a media conference for this team right now. And I just felt like Woodcroft's way of doing it was better. And for their first season together on an NHL bench, Woodcroft and Dave Manson, along with the rest of the coaching staff, I thought, you know, it wasn't perfect, especially in that Colorado series. I thought Woodcroft probably got outcoached. But overall, for their first season without any training camp, nothing, you couldn't have asked for anything better. That Oilers team probably overachieved a little bit because of how good the coaching really was in figuring out ways to beat teams, especially in that Calgary series. Like in that Calgary series, the Oilers came out of the LA Kings series with realistically one line and a hobbled dry sidle. And they left the Calgary series with three forward lines and a five game series win against one of the best teams in the league. And that alone should get you a two year extension, never mind three, which to me is fine because the, the third year is for the rest, all the rest of the good stuff that they brought to the table. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I, I really do like this hire by the Oilers. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm with you. Like, we used to have him on all the time when he was the coach of the Bakersfield Condors with Jason Greger. And, I mean, the Oilers do a really good job getting him on, even now as the head coach of the Oilers. Like, he, he's just so well-spoken. And, you know, you, you really like to listen to what he has to say. I, I don't think he's blown smoke. Like, he's he's just kind of giving it to you straight, but explaining it in a way that almost simplifies it. And I'm sure, you know, behind closed doors, it's a little bit more complicated and there's probably a little bit more passion than he gives us. But yeah, he, he's been someone who's been great to listen to. Now, is there any part of his game where you think he can improve? Like one of the things that I saw people complain about and I, you know, even questioned myself after a goal, there was times where he'd throw out, you know, the Archibald line and I, I'd kind of question that. But is there any part of his coaching style that you've thought, you know, may, maybe there's some things he can learn here? Well, of course. I mean, he's a, he's not only just a rookie coach, but he's a coach coming in to a team midway through a season that has tons of cup pressure. So when you're that kind of coach in that kind of situation, you're going to have a couple of missteps. I I thought one of the missteps might've been just the amount of times that Mike Smith played in the playoffs because Mike Smith, as much as he was their bonafide number one at the end of the season, after a solid 10 game stretch, there are moments when they have to realize he's playing hurt and he's 40. So there was a couple moments where I thought he could have benefited from a rest in a game where Miko Koskinen could have maybe stepped in, especially in that Colorado series. Like that first game, Koskinen came in, he played really, really well. It's hard to pull Smith. It is, but it's not because of his game. It's because he's that old. The, the whole plan coming into the, the season was – two goalies and that's why Smith will play better because he's got some rest and it showed at the end of the season, but boy, he played a lot of games at the end. And so that's, that's, that's one thing that might be questioned, but then again, I understand not pulling Smith there. I also think some of the lineup changes, that's another question where was it Woodcroft or did Ken Holland have any influence there? Because it's not like Woodcroft was a full-time hired coach. Like he's an interim coach. So it's possible Ken Holland had influence in guys like Josh Archibald being in the lineup over a guy like Dylan Holloway, who Ken Holland kept being quoted by saying he has to wait and he has to smell the bus fumes, I think was the quote. <laughs> and Woodcroft would have already had coached, you know, young players before and and trusted them and, some of the the decision-making there didn't make sense where I'm not sure if that's him or Holland's influence. Like, I don't know. But if there's one thing for sure that is on Woodcroft that I would like to see change, it was that the starts of games once again got away from them. That was one thing under Dave Tippett that I didn't like where, oh, they're not prepared at the start of the game or just they they look a little frustrated at the start of the game and it's 3 nothing already. And we saw that a little bit near the end. In the second and third series, Though some of those teams came out blazing at the start and it caught the Oilers off guard. I mean, they lost all three game ones. I thought the LA game they played pretty good actually. And just Mike Smith made a misstep and that was it. But in the Calgary and Colorado series, they came out flat in the game one in both of those. And that's something that Woodcroft's going to have to take with them and, and try to teach the team to do better because there was improvement there in the regular season, but why did it fall apart in the playoffs? They, they got to figure that out. Right. Uh, but overall, pretty happy. I mean, the power play, I guess, fell apart a little bit near the end of the year, but it was also excellent at times. I, I don't have a lot to complain about him because <laughs> I haven't seen him coach enough yet. There are promising signs, and there are some signs to question. 
Hockey fans, the pursuit of the Stanley Cup is on in DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NHL has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming. 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or New Hampshire. You can visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, in Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Louisiana, 1-877-770-STOP, 8778-HOPE-NY in New York, in Oregon, you can visit opgr.org, in Tennessee, call the red line, 1-800-889-9789, and in Virginia, 1-888-532-3500. 21 plus, 18 plus in Wyoming, must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Clack, uh, just looking at it here, uh, something from the awards. Connor McDavid, second team all-star. So he did get a little bit of hardware. I don't know what really comes along with being on the, uh, the second team all-star, uh, Austin Matthews, first team all-star center. Mitch Marner, also a first team all-star. Uh, he was the highest scoring right wing, so I guess that, that probably helped him out there. But, uh, yeah, you can check out NHL.com or TSN.ca, whatever you want. You can find all the awards, uh, there, uh, now, you know, obviously we we think, we assume that Dave Manson's probably going to get that contract extension soon as well. He's probably a little bit busy watching his son play in the Stanley Cup final right now down in Tampa. But for Dave Manson, uh, you know, everybody probably knows the legacy that he had on the ice. He was about as tough as they come. He had a sick mullet, maybe underrated scoring prowess. But what have you liked that he's done to this defensive group? And, and not only his time with the Oilers, but also what he's been able to do in terms of development with the Condors. Well, I mean, the the first things first is when you look at the Oilers and what Dave Manson did in Edmonton. Well, I just liked that they moved some deep pairings around and they seemed to get fits that they really liked and deployment seemed to be on par. Like you got to give Dave Manson a lot of credit because Tyson Berry was a bit of a, a goat in the first uh, half of the season. I don't mean greatest of all time. I mean, a goat like <laughs> bah, yeah. you know, and, and I, I don't think that Tyson Berry's game is always that, but sometimes he can chase around and, and defensively lose himself a little bit. And, as soon as they brought in Brett Kulak, 
I thought Manson did a great job at not only putting Kulak and Barry together, but also having Kulak and Barry deployed in a way where they were never having to face the top competition. They always kind of mixed the D around so that there was always a hard matchup going with the defense. And Nurse and CeCe together made a lot of sense. If anything, I don't love Keith and Bouchard together, but there's a certain point where you're stuck with the personnel you have. And Keith and Bouchard had moments, and I'm sure Bouchard learned a lot from just having Keith on his pair to talk to him after every shift. But the the changes in pairings, to me, was a big Dave Manson influence. And another thing I saw Dave Manson do with the Oilers as the season went along was with the players that could do it, he encouraged more of that closing of gap control. And it didn't last for Duncan Keith as much because he doesn't have the speed necessarily, but I definitely saw more guys that were willing to stand up to their blue line. Guys like Brett Kulak and Cody Cece and even Evan Bouchard was starting to stand up on their blue line, something that I didn't see under Dave Tippett. And that's something that you need to see in this NHL because a lot of the time the neutral zone is what you have to win. You have to win the neutral zone. The, uh, the Colorado Avalanche go through the neutral zone like it's butter. If you can stop them in the neutral zone, you have a chance. And there were moments where the Oilers did do a good job against Colorado in the neutral zone. So I saw promising signs from him. And also, yeah, I mean, I mean, Philip Broberg, there's obviously, obviously there's issues with, you know, did he get picked too high? Probably. But at the same time, I've seen some really good positive play from him already as a young player. And he probably has a ceiling of a second pairing defenseman, which this team does need who can be kind of like what Clefbaum was maybe not as good, but close and a lot of that was because of his development down in the minors. And Broberg's positive possession stats also, at least, are nice. Like, he had really good possession stats with Edmonton. He, he didn't look out of place. He made a few mistakes here and there. But ultimately, it's just the offense wasn't quite there yet. But he, he played pretty well. And we're probably going to see more of those results going forward in terms of what Manson could help do in the minors in terms of these guys coming up and feeling ready. Uh, Sam Marukov had a really rough go with Tippett. We'll see if he's still here, but he played really well kind of around the time Manson got promoted. He started finding his game again, and he had a great season last year with Manson there. And you also have a guy like Vincent DeArnay, who I don't know if the foot speed will be there to be an NHL player, but boy, has he come a long way from being what looked like a bust to a very usable defensive defenseman, if not one of the best in the AHL. And that's because Manson has really taught DeArnay positioning, and how to use his stick effectively and to kind of mitigate some of the speed loss that he had. So I think Manson has really shown to me a lot of positive signs for his ability to coach the defense. And I just look to see for, for more and better play, especially with nurse healthy. We didn't really get to see nurse healthy with Manson. And I really want to see Manson work with nurse in finding that aggression again on one V one defensive battles and positioning in his own zone. I think that Manson and nurse could be a pretty good uh, combo coach and player, but we'll find out next season. <laughs> for for the people in the media, I hope so because that that race coming with Darnell Nurse next year, anytime he has a bad game, uh, the ten twelve sixty inbox is going to be fired up. So I hope so. Uh, Clack, I'll, I'll go back to twenty seventeen uh, when the Oilers last made the playoffs and won a round, and I. I mean, I'll probably never forget that look that McDavid and Drysaddle had just watching the Anaheim Ducks celebrate and the, the way that game went down. 
But at the time, I know everybody was like, hey, future's bright. Things are going to be going well. The Oilers have a nice young core, and, and things will be good. It it didn't quite turn out. The next two years, obviously, losing records. They missed the playoffs. And uh, one of the things that I thought back then was maybe Peter Shirelli had a little too much faith in some of the younger guys and maybe thought that a guy like Drake Kajula or Matt Benning could take that next step up. And I mean, and then I don't think they did. And obviously the Oilers didn't play well. There's things that happened. But when you look at the Oilers now, they, they were so good in the postseason. Obviously, you know, took the Kings to game seven, had us on the edge of our seat, but then kind of dominated the Calgary Flames. Is it, is that the expectation now? Or do you think that, you know, now that they made it this far, they know what they have to add. Like, does does Ken Holland have to try to find a way to be aggressive here, even though he's kind of in cap hell? Like, is is it on Ken Holland to add more here? And has this become the standard? Like, should Oilers fans expect next year to be a playoff team that has Stanley Cup aspirations? Well, I feel like the Oilers fans should have been expecting a Stanley Cup this entire time. <laughs> like, you should always be aiming as high as possible in terms of okay, we can win because you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. You have two of the best, what, four players in the NHL, five players in the NHL. Like, you should always be contending when you have those two guys. So I'm looking at Connor McDavid's contract right now. It's got four years left. Leon Dreisaitl's contract, it has three years left. Jay Woodcroft just got a three-year deal. You have a window of three to four years before, uh-oh, we got to re-sign McDavid and Dreisaitl. We have to convince them to stay, et cetera, et cetera. So your window's now. And most GMs that are in the NHL, they understand how to be creative and how to make moves to clear up money. We just saw the Vegas Golden Knights use LTIR to their advantage. And teams don't necessarily want to be in LTIR, but it just saved Vegas $5 million. So they're fine with it. And the Oilers are going to have some guys this offseason that they really need to move in order to keep the spirit and the core of the growing team together. Like, I look at this Oilers team and I think, man, you can't trade Yamamoto right now or Poliarvi right now. Those guys are 23 and 24. So at the end of the window, they're 27, 28. So they're in their prime. Like, you got to think of the whole window here and the players you have and how to keep building towards winning the Stanley Cup, just like Colorado did, because they did that exact same thing. They built their roster around that age core, brought in guys around that age core, then brought in a few veterans in the bottom of the lineup. Now they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. And that should be the expectation. The expectation should be that Ken Holland finds a way to clear money, and the expectation should be that he finds a way to get better. And it's going to be really hard, because how can you replace $2 million Evander Kane when he's $2 million? It's a lot different when he's $7 million, but at $2 million, boy, that's difficult with the production he did. But you got to find a way to play better. you got to find a way to be better. And that is not only on the ice and not only in the coaching room, but that's the GM's job as well. And, I mean, I, I don't envy him because Barry, Fogle, Cassian, Keith, that's a lot of money that you could – probably get the, get out the door and be okay as a roster. And I don't know how they're going to be able to move all that. And they probably won't be able to move Duncan Keith because he's five and a half million dollars. That trade might haunt them going forward. Cause I can't see him getting better all of a sudden. I think he's a good number five defenseman right now. Who's playing too high. So what do you do? 
if he retires, that probably would be a decent thing for the Oilers. If he doesn't, then they're in a bit of a cap pickle again here. So, yeah, I, I think that the absolute expectation should be be aggressive, get the players you need to get. Your window is now – you could lose McDavid and Dreisaitl. I know that's painful to hear, but you could lose them. So you have them in their prime at this age. Go win. Go do stuff to win. And do smart stuff. Don't just do things for the sake of doing things. Get an analytic team. Get get on the level of the other teams in the league. Look around. Do your homework. Brett Kulak, great trade. More of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And say Josh Anderson. <laughs> and the Kulak deal, like I still remember the trade deadline. It was like, oh, okay, yeah. Well, it's kind of a sneaky good move. And then obviously, you know, with the injuries that they had, it it, it was massive for them in the playoffs. Um, if you're Ken Holland, you know, what what's priority number one now? Like, let's just say, let's uh, assume that Dave Manson's agreed to and, you know, that's all, all under wraps. You've got your coach. You've got... You know, some priorities. I think Kulak might be one of them. But what's the what's the next thing you're looking to do if you're a general manager, Ken Holland? Well, if I'm Ken Holland, my number one priority right now is I know that my defense wasn't good enough, and I know that my goalie wasn't good enough. Those are the two things that the Oilers had the most problems with. The forwards mainly got it done. And you're losing Evander Kane, but that's still a lot of firepower without Kane anyways. They mostly got it done up front with room for improvement because they have young guys like Yamamoto, Poliarvi, and Dylan Holloway coming. And also uh, Xavier Bourgeau is probably a year away, but they know they have some resemblance of firepower at forward. They can always trade for that later to add to that group. They showed that with Evander Kane. They didn't trade for him, but they added him midseason. You can add guys midseason. They can play with McDavid and Dreisaitl and find success. That is a doable thing. But the blue line, it's really hard to find guys to trade for or to sign. And it's really hard to find that goalie that's going to bring you to the top. Like Dwayne Rolison was a, was a godsend, but that doesn't happen every year. And to, to me, the number one priority is, okay, well, I look at the blue line. I, I hopefully nurse is healthy. I've got Evan Bouchard. He looks pretty good. He's young. Cody CSE, great season. You have to retain Brett Kulak. He's local. He's from Stony Plain. He had a great, great period of play with the Oilers. I thought he was pretty solid for almost every single game that he played here. You got to sign him first. He's a priority because he makes your defense better. And then you have to go out and you have to decide with your pro scouts, which D-man out there will help me and which goalie out there will help me. So those are the biggest things for me. It's the D, it's the goaltending, but my priority one is Kulak. And I know Kane is what everyone's going to think is the number one priority, but look, this free agency period is like 30 good forwards. There's a lot of good forwards out there. There's guys that will be on the market that come in for less than what Kane gets. So you also have to factor in that we don't know exactly what's going to happen with the arbitration case in Evander Kane. He might not learn about what's happening with him until after free agency's already started. So how do you prioritize that? I don't think you can. I think you have to prioritize Kulak first and then your holes on the blue line and in net first. Scoring can come later. You can grab scoring at the deadline. There's always a guy that goes for cheap. Marion Gabrick was like a second round pick acquisition and the LA Kings won with him the Stanley Cup. These guys are always around, but, but not around. D and goaltending. 
Clack, uh, that you've probably heard those sounds bouncing around. That's uh, telling me Zoom is saying we've only got five and a half minutes left here. So we'll try to run through a couple quick things here. Uh, I think a lot of people would hope to see Dylan Holloway in this Oilers lineup, especially if Evander Kane does walk in free agency or, you know, whatever might happen. Uh, do you think there's anyone in the organization that could join Dylan Holloway with the big club next season? Well, I mean, I think that there's a chance for sure that on the bottom pair, we might see Philip Broberg, but it just depends on who else they want to bring in veteran-wise in the blue line, perhaps. But Philip Broberg has the nice capability of being able to play the left or the right. So that does give the Oilers options in bringing Broberg up. And I thought he had a pretty nice season in the minors when he played. Is he going to be on the roster on day one? Maybe not. But the, the Oilers are going to need some cheap players and Broberg is a cheap player with upside, so we might see him make the team. And As you said, Dylan Holloway, we might see Dylan Holloway on the roster. I think it's a little bit early to suggest Carter Savoy. Mm-hmm. I think we need to see him in the minors in a scoring role. We need to see him put in some goals. I think a dark horse is that 7D slot, because Chris Russell, you'd think, is close to retirement. I thought he played really well this season. Like, I was generally a person that didn't like the way Chris Russell defended in his heyday sometimes, and I thought he had a great season for his money at this point and his role. I thought he played his role pretty well. But I don't know if he's coming back. And that 7D slot, there's two guys that might end up fighting for that. It might be a Samarukov who's waiver eligible. So if Samarukov does not make the Oilers in the training camp, he might get waived. So they have to make a call on Samarukov or fan favorite, Marcus Niemelainen. Marcus <laughs> Niemelainen, physical player, huge. I think he still has to work on a few things, but ultimately that's a guy that provides a very physical mentality and loves to hit guys and, really has some potential to be a really solid bottom pairing guy. And, and in the same light, Vincent D'Arnay, but I think D'Arnay is slower than Niemelainen's, but, but D'Arnay does have the benefit of being a right shot D and at the Oilers trade Tyson Berry, they either have to move Broberg over or sign somebody or the next guy up would be D'Arnay. So I'm not sure if all these guys are going to make it. If you'll see Broberg and Holloway and Niemelainen, Probably not Nemalainen and Samarukov, but they actually do need a few guys like that to come in and play just because of the cap. You have to have a couple guys coming in always. Tampa Bay, they also have that. Ross Colton, he came in cheap. They needed it. So he, they needed him to come in as a, as a minimum guy. They needed uh, Matthew Joseph to come in as a minimum guy. And then they traded him for Nick Paul at the deadline. Like you have to have some cheap talent coming in just to either show them off for trade or have them develop and play. So some of these guys are going to make it. Clack, uh, looks like we're down to our final two and a half, so if you cut out, I apologize. Uh, we're heading into the draft, the Oilers' uh, 29th pick, I do believe. And it's a kind of a weird year, obviously, because you know the OHL didn't play for that year, and, you know, I think it's going to make for a very interesting draft, especially to look back on maybe five years down the road. But uh, when it comes to the draft for the Oilers, when you're picking that high, is it, is it just best player available? Yeah, to make an answer short so that we don't get cut off, <laughs> best player available. Take the best player on your list. Uh, one guy I'm looking for around that that time that would be really interesting is Lane Hudson, a five foot eight defenseman who's super dynamic and fast and 
boy, I know he's 5'8", but this guy could be the Krug, Spurgeon type of small D-man. So he'll be around, I think, at that point because teams love size. He's a guy I'm looking at, and he might be my BPA at that point. But, yeah, just take your best player available. Don't worry about position. You never know what you're going to need three three years down the road. Or trade the pick because your window's now, and you need to get players in here that can win. I'm with you. I'm with you. That could be the plan the next couple of years. You know, you're expecting it to be a late first round pick anyways. If it's next year, if it's this year, I would be a hundred percent okay with them moving the pick. Uh, clock, we're down to our final minute here. Anything you got on your mind you want to talk about? Well, you know what? I, I think uh, I'm going to Banff this weekend. I will send you <laughs> the cordial invite. You don't have to come, but I just wanted to make sure you got that. And uh, otherwise, um, you know, I, I think the Oilers are going to trade Jesse Pulley-Arvey. That makes me incredibly sad. I'll just end it at that. Oh, buddy, I'll be heading out to BC this weekend, so maybe we'll see you in Banff. And uh, I also think they're going to trade Jesse Pulley-Arvey. So, Clack, thank you for doing this. You're welcome, Hallie. <laughs> there you go. That is Brennan Clack of 630. Chad, make sure to give him a follow on Twitter at NHL Update. He does a great job there, keeping you up to date on exactly what is happening. He's right there with all the NHL insiders. So NHL update, check him out, Brendan Clack. We always appreciate Clack hopping on the other Connor podcast here, talking all things Edmonton Oilers. As we mentioned, this offseason, the Edmonton Oilers, uh, it's going to be a very interesting one. I mean, I, I brought it up with Clack, but that 2017 season, I feel like the expectations were that the Edmonton Oilers would make the playoffs from there on out and, you know, be a cup contender. They had their goalie in Cam Talbot. They had their superstars and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. And I, I think now there's probably a little bit more optimism. I think Ken Holland's built a stronger team than they had back then, but we'll wait and see. I, I don't think he can take his foot off the pedal. I think it's got to be aggressive. He's got to continue to add, bring in talent, quality players, NHL players that are proven. And, uh, you know, if, if they can get good goaltending next year and stronger defensively, like Clack said, then this team can win some games. But we'll wait and see what happens. We've got the NHL draft. We've got free agency. It's going to be a very interesting offseason coming up for sure. Uh, here on the podcast, we'll do a lot of stuff when it comes to draft talk. We'll talk about, you know, players to look for, who might slip down to the Oilers, should they make that trade. And then once free agency gets going as well, we'll, we'll make sure to talk about all the players that the Oilers bring in. We'll see how many there are. Obviously, cap space is going to be an issue. Will there be a buyout? Will we see players move? Potentially, yes, Boyarvi. Would anyone take on Cassian? Would there be a buyout? I know he was listed as a, a potential buyout candidate from Daily Faceoff a couple weeks ago. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It always is. And uh, we'll have you covered right here on the Other Connor podcast. And that's going to do it for this show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. Big thank you to DraftKings. Sign up today. Use promo code THPN. Also, check out the Hockey Podcast Network. If you're a hockey fan, not just an Oilers fan, they've got podcasts for every NHL team, plus a lot of other cool stuff. So check it out, the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, we'll be back later this week for another show. Until then, have a good one. We'll talk to you later. This has been the Other Connor Podcast. I'm Connor Halley. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.